The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. If there's one person who comes to mind for normalising men talking about mental health and depression in New Zealand, it's Sir John Kerwin. His career in rugby and league was followed by setting up workplace mental well-being platform Mentimia that's recently changed its name to Groove. Even on some of his biggest days in rugby, he faced mental health challenges, battling feelings, thoughts and experiences that men didn't talk about. So he set about changing that. His work led to a knighthood, and now to Groove, that the government supported a version of to be free for individuals as part of responding to mental health challenges in response to the stress of COVID. Which is a pretty cool validation for what you're up to. To talk his journey, the company, and the difference he's here to make, Sir John Kerwin joins us now. Tanakwe. Tanakwe, just call me JK. It's fine. <laughs> Someone calls me sir, it feels like I'm getting told off by my mother. <laughs> well, we've pulled you in here to have a serious chat this morning, Sir yeah. John. And uh, uh, anyone coming on the podcast, bring your own coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should, I should mention we're going to sound a little bit more reflective and we're not with our normal coffee standards as today there's a power cut in the spinny podcast HQ. So we're in a pop-up meeting room around the corner We've um, we've pivoted. We've shown great grace under pressure. Everything's um, sounding as being agile, being as, agile, as beautiful as I can, as it can. But uh, the other coffee, I'm I'm sorry. Um, so hey, first up, let's go back a little bit to um, kind of the grounding for what set you on the path to Groove, and something that's been really interesting and in, in having a look into um, your story is that. Even at some of those biggest moments, like I, I grew up um, watching you in the Rugby World Cup and like, you know, the fact that when you scored that amazing try against Italy, you know, claimed by many or, or thought of by many as one of the greatest tries in World Cup history, you weren't feeling good. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of, um, yeah, that, that disconnect? It, pro- it probably the, wasn't that I wasn't feeling good as I was, um, I had anxiety attacks, so they would come and go. Um, but I also had, uh, what I call a lot of sharks back then. Um, and one of the sharks that I had was an imposter syndrome. So when I scored that try, because I had an imposter syndrome, I'm waiting for people to, especially the coach, realize I'm just lucky. Um, you know, probably dropped me on Monday. When is my luck going to run out? I'm really not that good. And so I was still, I, I, I was pre depression. Right. Um, Post depression is very, very different. But pre depression, you know, I had uh, a dumb shark. I had a guilt shark. Um, You know, I had an imposter shark. So I had a lot of these things going on in my life. And if you add anxiety attacks to that, so anxiety attacks for me are just pure fear. And then what happens is 
um, you know, anxiety and depression are, uh, are two different illnesses. So what can happen though is, is you can have anxiety all your life and the best way I explain it is you have an anxiety attack and you go back to relatively normal. Um, but what happened to me is I had continuing anxiety attacks and then I fell into a depression. Um, so when I had the anxiety attacks and then I went back to relatively normal, it would leave a little scar and that scar, I called that scar fear. And um, so while I was expressing myself on the rugby field, and relatively normal, I had mental health in my life all the time. That's so interesting that you talk about that imposter syndrome as, you know, from the outside, it just shows there's no reason to it, right? Because from the outside, there's no more obvious meritocracy than a team where, you know, there's press conferences to announce who's in it and, it, you know, leads the news who's picked. And so if you're in the team, then you're definitely the best. But even in those environments, does that add to the pressure, that kind of need to perform? Oh, I think so. Um, you know, it's probably called performance anxiety and you can, you know, get nervous in the change room and and all those things which we accepted as performance anxiety. Probably wasn't called that back then, probably just called, you know, butterflies in the stomach or whatever. Um, and, and so there was a relative um, awareness of, you know, nerves and stuff, but then we'd um, drown our post- anxiety, performing anxiety with alcohol. So it's not a very nice cycle, you know. You build up all week, you get really nervous, and then you get hammered on Saturday night, you know, which sounds a little bit like New Zealand culture, right, which is sort of sad in its, in its own right. But so what So what the, the problem was me, I didn't know what it was, wasn't aware of it, um, but I was incredibly confident on the rugby field at times, you know. Uh, and then I'd come off and have all these self-doubts and, and um, so, so it was pretty complicated looking back. Uh, and and for me, uh, the the saddest thing was I was relating my form on the rugby field to my personality, and that's really really dangerous. And I think it's a something that any sports people person needs to address. You know, you are not your sport. You know, and uh, so if I'd had a good game, according to me, um, I was relatively happy. I've had a shit game, according to me, um, and I say according to me because my standards were pretty high, um, I wouldn't be happy. And and that's okay not being happy with performance, but when it starts eating at your values and your persona, it can get pretty dangerous. How do you address that? Because I, I can see it's a big thing for sports people, but I imagine a lot of entrepreneurs or business people or artists or, you know, people who tie up their value and what they produce and their performance – um, how do you go about making sure that you don't make you your performance and so you are more resilient? Well, I, it's hard for me to answer that because I didn't know how to do that and it took me um, some pretty scary moments and some pretty sad times through depression to come out the other side. Uh, I say you're not your emotions, you're your values. You're not your sport, you're your values. And I think one thing we need to teach any young person um, is that, if your values based, identify your values, understand what they are, um, understand what your strengths are. You know, we're doing a business podcast, and I always always laugh saying to my kids, "Well, the most important thing is never to work a day in your life, right? <laughs> because you've got to do what you love." And so, I think there's a series of things that you need to do when you are developing yourself as a as a young human. 
to, to just make sure that you're not all those things. You know, you are values-based. You care about your values. You know what they are. You understand your sharks. We've all got some sharks. Um, and then make sure you address those and then be the best you can be in all sorts of different realms, you know. So if you're attaching your worth to something you don't have that much control of, so if I make it a little bit simpler, um, it's raining, we're playing an all-black test and I don't get the ball. How am I going to play well? <laughs> so if I'm, you know, if I'm relying on that to make me feel good, I'm in trouble. But I couldn't distinguish between those things in the early days. Ah, and with anything that you care about and you make your life about, if you can't separate yourself from the output, you can't actually look at things dispassionately and get better and you take everything personally and it's actually not good for growth and development to too closely align those. Yeah, look, and at Groove we, we, we talk about performance care and I think that's really, really important because you shouldn't be in an environment where people don't care about you to get the performance, right? And often in sport it's pretty cutthroat and it's pretty quick. So there's a quick turnaround. Play badly on Saturday, you're going to find out on Monday whether you dropped or not, <laughs> you know. And there wasn't a lot of, and this is no one's fault, by the way, because I think it's really, really important to understand generations, you know. Um, unconscious bias, which has been in the paper um, a bit lately and something that I'm doing a lot of research on, often is generational. So, you know, for me, back in those days, no one gave a shit, right? You just performed and um, so it, it was a different Time, but I, but what I've learned over time is that it's really, really important. Understand your values. Understand what you're really good at. Do that, and um, and then make sure you're not mixing those two, and make sure that you are caring for yourself or whoever you work for is caring for you because they care about you genuinely. And I believe that will result in performance. And the things you say there, it's pretty like, deep early in the no, podcast, that, mate. That's Sorry, be, that's be, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> mate. The things you say there, like you know, make sure that your organisation is caring for you. These days, organisations like the All Blacks or any you know great rugby um, uh, franchise, they'll be they'll be talking in those terms. But in the days you were a player, that wasn't the language, and so it's kind of all the more remarkable that from a place that was kind of the antithesis of that kind of language and talking. Um, to have then emerged from that um, area and led this anti-stigma campaign. Can you tell me about kind of, you know, what what the process was to get into those amazing campaigns that helped to really change the way that men and organisations talked about their health, their mental health? Yeah, I'll, I'll just take you back to the, to the first statement. I, d- I don't believe that a lot of workplaces have understood yet, mm. and I'm really, really passionate, and we'll talk about that a little bit later with Groove, is... You know, I often say, um, you know, 40 years uh, forty years ago, Bill Gates came across the Canadian border with Microsoft in his pocket. He said, I'm going to put a laptop on everybody's desk. Did pretty well. And then a few years later, Steve Jobs came along with the cell phone and says, so I'm going to put one of these in everyone's hands. Did pretty well at that, right? Um, Steve Jobs, a few years later, comes out with the cell phone and says, I'm going to put one of these in everyone's hands. Did pretty well, you know. Um, but I genuinely believe the greatest leaders of the future, what they will be, is they will be care-focused on their people, genuinely looking after people's mental well-being. Because do you do any more shit in your life for productivity? You know, <laughs> how many things you got? You got Slack, you got Zoom, you got you know, um, emails, you've got cell phone, you've got all those things, and they're all fantastic tools, and I love them. Don't get me wrong, but I think the next ten years, if you want to create a 
outstanding, world-class, world-changing uh, business, then it's got to be people and care-focused. And um, I talk about mental well-being, and I think COVID's been – COVID's gave us bugger all, right? <laughs> it's taken so much off so many people. The only positive that I can see out of it is we are now genuinely talking about people's mental health. And people are saying, I'm not going back to work. I want to work at home. You know, the whole world has changed very quickly through a pandemic. But I think the most important thing is, you know, in the 80s, I was a rugby player. We all smoked, you know. Like we all had a fag, had a dart, as you call it, have a dart and a few beers. You know, (laughs) by the end of the 80s, we realised that that's actually not that good for you. (laughs) You know, smoking's not good for you. So, you know, people started making some choices. And mental health and bad mental health and average mental health and stress and anxiety is not good for you. And so we need to learn how how we are going to actually manage our mental health and go from surviving to thriving. And I think that the workplace... There's no work-life balance anymore. It does not exist. There is life. And I think businesses that want to succeed and thrive in the future need to genuinely look after their people's mental health. And that conversation, like you say, um, with COVID, it has, uh, you know, one of the big things companies were thinking was, how can we look after the mental health of our of our team as well as, you know, how can we get them working from home? But, you know, t- take us back to, like, um, getting into that that anti-stigma campaign as, you know, that wasn't a global pandemic. It was, like, a good idea and fronting something and starting a conversation that I'd say has been, you know, extraordinarily influential in breaking down, like, the barriers around men talking and also kind of dismantling some of that kind of, um, toxic masculinity that was around a lot of these things. Like rugby doesn't have to be a toxic masculinity, but, you know, it was an environment and and there are still environments where, um, you, you know, that, that having that conversation is so important. Yeah, look, it was, it was the scariest time of my life. Um, I was just coming through my own trauma um, and a really good friend of mine um, said to me, you know, would you like to? I didn't even know anyone knew that I was unwell. I don't know how he knew I was one unwell and, and I'd have been through this because I kept it pretty quiet, which was silly. And um, he asked me to be the face of the anti-stigma campaign and I said, no, there's no way I'm doing it. Are you kidding me? I'm going to ruin my reputation. I'm going to ruin my career. Um, and so I said, no. Um, he was pretty persistent. You know, he's hung around my home, <laughs> sat outside all day, um, and I remember ringing my mother and I said, Mum, you know, they've asked me to do this. And, and she said, well, what was it like for you? And I said, it was hell on earth, hell on earth every single day. And she said, so if you think you could stop one person going through that hell or one person suffering, do you think you should do it? And I said, yeah. And she said, is your reputation worth more than helping one person? And I went, yeah. So I decided to do it. I decided to do the anti-stigma campaign, and that started a wee bit of a journey. The opposite happened, by the way. So very quickly people were, um, you know, stopping me. Uh, You know, one of the beautiful things that happens to me is, you know, pre-COVID, someone would stop and give me a hug, you know, and just say thank you. So it's been incredibly rewarding, challenging, um, inspirational, meeting inspirational people. So it's been incredible thing to do but very quickly after the stigma campaign and this is really interesting that you mentioned it before um 
you know, I needed to do hope because you can get through this. You know, you can address it. You can get better. You know, it's not easy. Um, and so I think that once I started doing one thing, then I had to realise that I needed to do it. And then we did, you know, depression.org.nz, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on because that's related to, to how Groove was born. But I think that, um, you know, I, I think for me the, the, the interesting thing is that mental health is normal. Mental health is, we've all got it. You know, everyone's got it. We're all good. We're all bad. We're all, um, we're all sort of getting through our lives. But the most important thing is to have a mental health plan for yourself and understand what that looks like so that you can, you know, what is resilience? It was really interesting. I went to, uh, I went to speak to a whole bunch of school kids and I asked them, what's resilience? And they said, oh, that's that shit word our parents use. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, okay, that's interesting because I've done that as a parent, you know, but but the interesting thing is what is it? What the hell is it? And the best way I sort of explain it is I ask people, you know, what is love? And they go, well, this is a bit of a, it's getting, getting a bit deep, you know, but not really because I'll get 20 answers back and they're all different. And I say to the people, you know, is that, is that, uh, any of those answers wrong? No, they're not. And a very, very wise, which is an interesting story in its own right, probably don't have time today. And an a, a Italian priest once said to me, love's a verb. It's a doing word, right? So notice how many times you say it if you don't have the action behind it. Um, you know, it's, it's worth nothing. And same with resilience. You know, resilience is what you do when life isn't great. And you need a plan around that, you know. And if you don't get taught that plan or understand that plan, um, then you don't, you can't be resilient. So I think a lot of those learnings, um, you know, have come through pretty much uh, going on this mental health journey. Yeah, and the the bones of that plan, a mental health plan, you know, doing things every day that are going to make you feel good and, and and being reflective of your mood. Those first kind of ideas were in that anti-stigma campaign. Like, whenever I need to unwind, I do some cooking. I'm like, I'm an active relaxer. Like, that is part of, like, that's living in my head, man. And that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> well, no, it's, really, it's, it's really interesting because I, I think for me, um, you know, a couple of passions that I have, make it normal, get rid of the stigma, but actually change the dialogue, mm. you know? Like, and and... You know, the active relaxer came from, and and if you listen to this podcast and you can meditate, you should. It's an amazing thing for you. But a certain percentage of the population can't because it makes us more anxious. And I'm one of those, right? Um, and when I did it, I felt like I'd failed because a lot of these, um, what I call Eastern, Eastern um, sort of ways to do stuff, you know, meditation, mindfulness, all that sort of stuff. We bring them to the Western world and ta- turn them into a six-week course where you get a certificate, you know, yeah, yeah. which is sort of, which is fine. And don't get me wrong, I think, you know, the more people that do that stuff, it's great. But back then that wasn't good for my personality because I'd never passed an exam in my life and felt that if I couldn't do shit, I'd failed. Um, but but I think, you know, getting back to the, getting back to the, to the, the daily mental health plan, you know, I just want to normalize it. So I have a monkey brain. My monkey's called Bob, right? Bob the monkey. And if I meditate, Bob the monkey's off. He's loving it. You know, if, if I watch Netflix and I don't watch much TV at all, in fact, none, um, if the documentary's not good after two minutes, Bob's gone. 
he's not concentrating anymore. So I've had to find ways um, to switch off my brain. I, I talk about putting it in the washing machine and giving a good wash. Um, you know, that for me is reading. And I had to teach myself how to read, right? I got my, I read my first book at 18. It's called The Paladin. Uh, Wayne Smith gave it to me, actually. Um, so I had to teach myself how to read, and that probably took a couple of years because I'd have to repeat the page and forget it and all that sort of stuff. That's some of my learning issues. Um, but, you know, I read, I cook. I took up the guitar during COVID because I wanted to take something off COVID. So I thought if COVID gives me guitar playing, then I'm going to take something back from the from the big, ugly pandemic. But those things are like my meditation. And I think, you know, um, it, it has normalised it. And I I grew up going to a, a very kind of like rugby intermediate school. And, you know, the conversations amongst kind of men and that kind of world um, are so different now for my son and for my daughters who are going to, to high school today. And I think it's part of that, um, you know, like you say, normalising it. And, and bringing this conversation forward, which is amazing. And in terms of normalising that, um, you know, and I can't, you know, I couldn't believe it. I loved what you were doing, and you know, uh, means a lot to me. And 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 four four things because I couldn't believe how, um, you know, you were able to dismantle a lot of what was um, <laughs> what was pretty solidly in the culture with not talking about your feelings. Being <laughs> masculine was not showing weakness or showing that you're vulnerable at times. But to to, to be brave in front of that. Yeah, look, I think um, I, I keep coming back to some of the emotional worlds we grow up with. You know. What is courage? What is love? You know, what are all these words that float around us? And often you have a perception that is untrue, right? And, you know, when we grew up, what was courage? You know, was it a playing rugby or was it, you know, but... The, it was playing on with a broken arm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and what was love? It was probably something you read in a book or thought it was this, you know, this really romantic thing. And, and romance is, is certainly an important part of love. But it's certainly you don't think about the friendship and having open communication and, and actually growing every year with your relationship and working on it all the time, you know. <laughs> you didn't, didn't hear about that stuff, right? <laughs> and so a lot of us through culture have a perception of what things are. And... You need to personalize those words into action plans. And and I think the interesting thing is my daily mental health plan is really, really simple. And people go, oh, is that a daily mental health plan? I say, yeah. I mean, and that's why we, you know, that's why at Groove, um, we call it, say, staying in your groove. Because that's not offensive. So how do you stay in your groove? You know, you've just told me you love cooking. We'll have to swap a few recipes. Um, and so people say, is that, a, is that a mental health plan? Yes, it is. Because your brain is switching off. It might be meditation. It might be going for a run. It might be whatever that looks like. Doing gardening, you know. Um, whatever you do, how do you connect, you know. And so all those things, I think, are fundamental in teaching you know, your kids are going into high school. Oh, I'd hate to be a high school kid nowadays. I think the pressure on them is way more intense and way more difficult than when we grew up. And I suffered, right? So that's why the percentages are going up. But they need to learn um, how to how to look after themselves mentally, how to be resilient against internet bullying, how to um, how to how to have a really really um, balanced look on what success is. You know, success for me was a Mori Thousand van, and I lent the money off my old man, right? If you look at the internet every single day, success is a private jet, success is, you know, a fast car, success is, 
a whole lot of different things. And coming through my um, my illness, um, I remember going to see my dad, who wasn't well at the time, and I said, you know, Dad, what is success? And he said, how many bastards want to carry you out when you die? Right? I thought, wow, that's amazing. And he said, yeah, and it's no use having the flashes car in the car park of the cemetery, which is really interesting, isn't it? Because in this capitalistic world, and I think money is important, I think business is important, money makes the world go round, so don't get me wrong, but we can't focus just on that as a success tool, right? And we'll be back in a couple of moments to hear how JK turned his experience and his platform into Groove. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. So tell me, how did you come to the stage to take some of this experience and take some of what you were doing kind of at a one-on-one level with people uh, and turn it into something that lots of people could use with Groove? Failure. Yeah, failure. Um, So I used to be scared of failure. Now it's the greatest teacher I have, and I look for it often because it teaches me so much, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, look, for me, I woke up one morning about five years ago now and um, I was reading the newspaper and two things um, made me realise that I'd failed, our suicide rate. So by the end of tonight, a New Zealand male will be dead. By tomorrow night, uh, two males and one female in our beautiful country. Um, you know, so I felt I'd failed. 800,000 people committed suicide last year around the world. Right? So we've got two pandemics. Um, so I thought, shit, 15 years of, of being this and I've failed. And then on the other side of exactly the same page was Mental Health is Going into Health and Safety Act. I thought, wow, this is a massive hole for the government and they don't have the funds to actually, or the resources to actually fix this. So they're handing some of that responsibility over um, to the workplace. And it really upset me. You know, because anyone who's facing failure, your first, your first, 
your first hit is probably in your confidence and and shit, what have I done wrong? So failures, when I say it's my greatest teacher, it's not the nicest teacher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the, it's the grumpy teacher that you never liked at school, and then retrospectively they were the best teachers, right? Um, you were scared to be in their class, but actually great teachers. Uh, so I realised that um, what I was doing was completely uh, not cutting it. So I looked at the issue from a different lens and I thought okay if this hasn't worked what do we need to do and it broke into two things and um, you know we're in a business pod so I'll talk about the business side but I created um, a foundation and we have a curriculum based mental health program that goes into primary schools and I did that because my reference um, to mental health was one flow of the cuckoo's nest so I thought if I spoke to anyone I was going to get locked up with Jack Nicholson and the chief, the big American Indian guy. Um, and that was a real fear at the time. I can laugh about it now, but it was a real fear. And I think the the thing that I wanted to do was I didn't know anything about this shit. Like at 13, I started having anxiety attacks, and no one told me that. They taught me English, math, science, but they didn't actually tell me this. So I wanted to create something that would change our stats in a generation, give the kids the tools to understand their own mana, whatever that is and make sure they understand the IQ and the EQ. So a lot of mental health things are EQ. Mindfulness is the emotional thing that you should do for your mental health, you know, meditation, um, journaling, all those things that we spoke about before, they're the EQ. But why do I need to do it, (laughs) you know? Why? The IQ. And so I want to teach our kids that. And the second thing was when we created depression.org.nz, you know, 12 years ago, whatever it was now, It was the most successful online tool in the world. Mm. It won all these incredible awards. And this is no one's fault, but the government continued to spend money advertising it with my face, which I was happy to give for nothing, and driving people to the site. But they never spent any money on on the technology, right? And I'm going, wow. So, and 600,000 people were coming to it. People are coming up from America, right? And I'm going... Wow. So what would that look like on steroids, right? If we had to spend as much money on the tech as we had on the, you know, I say this and this is this is JK. You've got to ignore JK's stats because they're called JK stats, so they could not be accurate. But, you know, for, for example, it cost $6 million to build 12 years ago from a technology point of view. You probably buy it off the shelf for $29.99, same tech, right? So I had this thought in my idea. I had this idea in my head. What if we created a world-class, world-changing tool, right, that can look after people's mental health? If we can digitally deliver what I learned through my life's experiences and then have verified and backed up in medical science, how, how, how do we do that? And I was really, really fortunate to meet my co-founder, Adam Clark. And he has an amazing tech background, but he also has a very, very caring background. So he understands this. And so I I met him once and I said, you know, my dream is to, to, with the Health and Safety Act, I want to deliver to every work person in New Zealand. So that's 2,456,000 people, by the way, uh, a tool that can keep them well. But I also want to help leaders Put this on the agenda. Why is it a thing? I mean, I love Mental Health Week, but mental health for me is every day, you know? So how do we take this 
And and the first thing he did to me, because he's an incredibly vision, visionary man, he said, um, JK, this is a worldwide problem. We should try and reach 100 million people and save 100,000 lives. And I went, wow, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know. And so um, what we wanted to do is create a world-class, world-changing digital suite of tools that people put in the workplace that genuinely, genuinely look after uh, their mental health and show them the tools that they can do to keep themselves thriving every day. That doesn't mean life doesn't, you know, not shit every day. When people say, you know, JK, you're thriving, you're well. Yeah, I'm well all the time. I'm well a lot. But, um, you know, I think that a good mental health plan when life does throw shit at you, that you have those tools. I've had a few chats recently with people who are like um, leaders and interesting people in the people in culture space and big companies. And they've said to me that one of the interesting things about bringing in things like an EAP or things like a wellbeing platform like Groove is how much of the help people in a workforce look for that actually relates to things that are outside of work. But now work is actually having to kind of take um, care for and, and care about everything in a person's life. Can you talk about this? Because you said before, you know, there's no work-life balance. There's just there's just life. Yeah, well, I think that, um, I don't know if, if you've done it in your life, but um, a lot of New Zealanders leave half themselves at the door when they go to work, right? Um, so they don't bring their real selves because, and that's not their fault, they're scared of repercussions, they're scared of their mental health might um, stop them getting a, a promotion, you know, and these are all... These are all things that have happened in the past, you know. I remember talking to someone the other day and we we're talking about this subject and they said, you know, I worked with my boss for 10 years um, and then we hadn't really done a lot socially and then I we had a afternoon company with families and he was the most loving father I've ever seen with his kids and he had a dog and three kids and I just was blown away. And he, and he said, that shouldn't be. You know, I thought it was this quite cold, you know, and and so those days have gone, man. And when I talk about the future, those days have gone. I need to genuinely care for you, right? You got to do your job, right? You know, you got to do your job, but I, I've got to genuinely care for you. I've got to understand. I don't have to get into your personal life, but I have to understand what's going on in your world. You know, you cannot if you if your if your child has been up sick, or if your child comes home last night and she's being bullied or something. You're not going to be at 100% today. You can't because where's your mind going to be, you know, if you're a loving parent? Now, if we know that we can bring our authentic self to work, but then we've also been delivered the tools to look after yourself on a daily mental health, but then your manager actually knows how to manage well-being, right? And that's what we want to teach because that's never been taught in the workplace. Yeah. You know, you do you do all the other shit. You know, I don't know if you've done broadcasting stuff or if you've done the business stuff or you've done, you know, in comms, you do your comms courses and that sort of stuff. But the future is genuinely leading this in the workplace. And that doesn't mean you have to be the psychiatrist or the psychologist, man. And that some people are scared to step into the space because they go, ooh. But I often say, you know, well-being's not the fruit bowl on the office table. Well-being's not the free yoga courses. It's way more in-depth than that around caring, but it does not need to be complicated. You don't, you're not the expert, um, but what you need to do is learn, is learn how to lead it, genuinely put it on your daily uh, agenda, and then it just needs to become to the norm. My, my dream is I come back here in three, three to five years' time, you say, 
uh, what are we going to talk about now, JK? Because, you know, mental health is just what we do. Yeah, <laughs> you know? what, what we expect. So it's still, this, it's still this thing off to the side. And one of the things that's frustrating me, and this is a call out to all you business leaders out there, all you business leaders, <laughs> don't tell me it's your strategic plan when you don't have a budget next to it. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, that's our strategic plan. Yeah, we're right after well-being. Oh, no, don't have any money for it. Oh, okay. Well, don't tell me it's your strategic plan because um, – and you need to be careful with me about this because people are dying, mm-hmm. you know. People are dying, man, um, from this illness. So um, if it's – don't get on the tick the box, well-being's my, my thing, my man. Mm-hmm. You know, just genuinely say I don't have money for it <laughs> and it's not a strategic plan, you know. It's like it's like diversity and racism, you know, yeah, and we've been going through that in the last couple of weeks. Don't tick boxes, my people. Yeah, yeah. Do it properly. Well, you see things like, you know, the diversity issues. If CEOs were paid based on the makeup of their companies, that would change overnight. <laughs> it's yeah, 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 but like not, say, not genuinely, not, right? If there's not a budget, if there's not a budget, yeah, if there's exactly. not an actual commitment to business, you can't just talk about it. Exactly. You've got to you got you got to make it part of the, the financials. I totally agree with you, mm. but I, I think it's a great, mm. we should try that, um, you know, but you need genuine change. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. when I go back to leaders, I think that the old-style leader that will do those things, right, mm. um, will not survive Yeah, because people start seeing through that stuff. And, look, I think one thing that we want to prove at Groove is that if you do this, people are going to be happier. I believe happiness brings productivity. You know, you work better. It also brings a genuine retention of good people. So if you feel cared for in your workplace, I believe you will work better and I believe you'll stay so you, I'll retain you. Um, so what do you think that does to the bottom line? You know, that you profit will go up. You know, productivity will go up. I firmly believe that. How, how have you gone growing the business? As, you know, to go from um, an app and a concept and a, and a platform, but, you know, that wasn't at the front of a workplace conversation at that point, to now being used by hundreds of thousands of people is a, is a fantastic journey. Yeah, it's a really interesting journey, and I could not have done it without the the amazing people that that work with me. You know, I think we've got fifty people now, um, and it really started with with Adam Clark, my co founder, who understood the vision. I'm not a businessman, mate. Um, you know, and he brought the tech and the business side, which was fundamental to what we wanted to do. If you and I'm learning all these new words, right? Because you've got to remember, I've been a rugby player and rugby coach all my life. So, you know, how do you scale something like this? How do you communicate it properly? How do we change um, the business world? You know, how do we get habitual change from you? How do I help you? So we talk about empowering the individual. So if we continue to talk about this, but then you share with everyone in this room, you know, oh, I actually cook. That's what I do. Um, We call that a, I call that a psychological safety bridge. We start talking about this. You know, I can't meditate. You know, you've learned something about me today. Um, and I've learned something about you. That's not work. That's a psychological safety bridge where we start talking about things. And then you come into work and say, oh, you know, my, my daughter's really struggling in school. Oh, okay, well, how can I help? You know, so it becomes a different way of doing things. We want to empower the individual. We want to lift the leaders so the leaders just becomes normal for them to do this. And then um, basically that will optimise the, the environment. 
And and so Adam came along. He had the tech side. He had the business knowledge. And so we started building on this on this dream and this vision. And you know the the the, the technical team that build this product are amazing, and they care and they care about people. So we say at work we want world class and world changing people that will then build us a world-class and world-changing product. So really it's a digital suite of tools that simplify this for the HR or the CEO or whoever's in charge of this this area of the workplace. So um, you know I'm incredibly proud of where we where we are at the moment, but we're we're still getting better. We're still working on reaching people. We're still um, you know, and I and I get really frustrated because like I said to you, um the, the businesses are working and some are, some are beautiful leaders and they're leaders of the future and they are, you can see that. But I still don't think it's in mainstream yet. And in terms of you've got the business platform, but then during COVID, the government actually came in and helped as part of the mental health response to COVID, actually funded Groove for people to be able to use, just everyone. How did that feel? Um, I guess, you know, having to make a, a personal app rather than a work app so everyone could use yeah. it uh, pretty quickly. But how did that feel as kind of a validation for for what you were doing and being able to step in and help people at that moment? Um, yeah, I, I don't think about those things too much. So I'll never forget the meeting. Um, COVID hadn't hit yet in New Zealand, but it had hit overseas and I've got families overseas and so I knew it was coming and I remember walking in and talking to Adam, you know, because we're a, we're, we're a SaaS product, we're a B2B, we're building this thing um, to give to the end user for nothing but through businesses. And we all sat around, um, you know, Dr. Fiona Crichton, who's been in there in the beginning, and she's just an amazing woman. Um, Fiora, who's been in charge of tech, and we all sat around, and, and Ian, who you've dealt with, um, said, we need to give this to the country, right? And we'd only just launched. But our, our goal was, you know, and I'm incredibly proud of the product because um, it is depression.org.nz on steroids, but it's actually more than that, way more than that. So I know that if someone uses it, if they're unwell and they go through the six pillars and do the stuff, they will be able to get the tools they need to start feeling better. Uh, so um, we first rang a couple of mates of ours, and this is really interesting, and I love telling this story. So we got two banks to work together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we got um, Steve Yukovic at Kiwi Bank. We rang him and said, yeah, I'm in. If we're going to give this to the country, I'm in. Um, and David McLean at Westpac, you know. And I said, oh, David, we're talking to Steve. Or oh, Steve, we're talking to David. No worries. This, this is about the people. And so sometimes big corporates get a bad rap, right, because – we're looking at their profit all the time. But these guys just went, yeah, we're in. And then I rang the government and said, look, we'd, we'd like to do this. And they said, well, it just so happens that we're trying to look for some some digital tools um, that we could put in the marketplace. And so, you know, that combination where we managed to give it free to the country. And then we're still trying to catch up and keep working, keep making it better. But that was an amazing time. It, it distracted us for a while, um, but it was a, a beautiful distraction. And, you know, I'd come back to my team some days and say, look, guys, um, you know, the hug that I get in the in the pre, pre this, you know, um, I'd keep for myself. But then people come up and say, oh, JK, thanks for the hat, man. It really helped. 
And so I'd take that back to the staff and the people that were working sort of 24-7. So that was, a, that was a really neat and nice thing to do. And then about 12 months ago, we said, right, you know, and one of the, it's not a negative, one of the, one of the things that came out of it was people think we're an app. And we are an app, mm. but we're also a suite of tools, you know. Um, when we talk about the app, that is a, that is a vehicle to deliver our stuff. Um, so it was important that we now start to communicate. We're a suite of digital tools because we are, you know. Yeah. And what's your vision for the company? Like um, you just recently renamed to Groove. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of um, what, what a name to take you to a bigger platform or what's the, what's the idea? Yeah. I mean, Mentimia was a name that I came up with and it means my mind in Italian, um, but it was difficult for people to say. So, you know, mental mind, mental mist, mental... Uh, and, but also, if you stay true to some of your core, um, you know, your core goals, one of those was to to change the dialogue around this, to change what we talk about. So if I said to you, how's your mental health, mate? Mm. Or are you in your groove? <laughs> right? So it's actually starting to change the dialogue. It's a cooler name. It feels better. Um, and so for me, that was that was really, really important to change change that. Um, our goal is to reach 100 million people and save 100,000 lives. And so, um, you know, that's that's what we intend to do. We are continuing to change the product, improve the product. You know, we're, we're, we're always trying to make it the best that it can be, all the products. So that's where we are. Yeah. And that changing the dialogue is something that you know, you can see happening in the fact that these conversations are happening in business and in society. And I saw something that, you know, it's about like when you gave people the active relaxer kind of concept. And I, I saw a really great way of phrasing things, which was, um, you know, me- mental illness is like a sprain. And, you know, when you walk around all day on your ankle and there's no problem, you take it for granted. And then if you sprain your ankle, you can't believe you'll walk again. And then yes. after it fixes, you walk around, you hardly ever think about it, but you kind of know to be careful not to roll it again because you've learned something. And like, there's such cool ways that, you know, in the past, you know, mental illness in the workplace was something where it was kind of like a black mark forever, not like a sprain that comes and then goes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a really neat way to put it. Look, I think um, a lot of our discussion is ambulance in the bottom of the cliff, right? Because... We wait too long and then we're talking about, and there's nothing wrong with this, we're talking about suicide rates, we're talking about, you know, people who are really unwell. Um, we need to start talking about prevention, mm-hmm. right? We need to start talking about the prevention. You're going stri- to you're gonna sprain your ankle, mm. right? But if you put ice on it within an hour and then you ice it for the next 24 hours, your recovery is going to be quicker. Our brains are no different, right? Um, and I used alcohol, mate, as mm. my ice, right? Mm-hmm. And... It gave me some relief for a couple of hours. Then I go back at 100 miles an hour. So you need to learn that, you know, substance and all that sort of stuff is, is not the way forward for your for your anguish. But stress and anxiety is normal and we need the ice. We need to know what that looks like. And I think, you know, for me, um, the more we normalize it, but everyone knows the why now. I wanted to create with everyone else the how, you know, and we still don't know the how. And if we can educate our kids, if we can educate the workplaces, that this is the how. And you and I are different, bro. Like, you know, some people will hate cooking, and that's okay. You know, there's no one size fits all. But if you stick to the six pillars, if you stick to the to the to the stuff that, and we've got a clinical team that'll do this for you. If you try that stuff, and it's not a competition, 
right? You try stuff, oh, it didn't work for me. Cool, keep trying, you know, keep doing other things until you've built this really neat um, plan for yourself that helps you get through the sprained ankle. It helps you, you know, when you're thriving, you're really appreciative and you're, and you're feeling good about yourself and that's okay as well. If we stretch out that kind of sporting analogy, like if you're playing at a top level, if you're, you know, a business person or, you know, anyone who's operating at a hardcore level, you know, there are sprains that come along. But if you're a real professional, you make sure that you're doing the stretches, the warm-ups, the exercise plans, so that you're in good condition so fewer sprains happen. You don't want to only be kind of addressing this stuff once you're, yeah. once you're cooked. You know, I, uh, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you want to talk about sport, and you know, I'm talking to my, my all three of my children, they're all sport sports people, and my, my son was saying to me, oh, Dad, you know that LeBron James? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, he spends $3 million a year on recovery, mm. right? And I went, oh, that's interesting. So the most important thing about performance is recovery? And he went, yeah. And I went, yeah, right? So, you know, a day's work where you're really into it and you're performing, how do you recover, you know? And so it's no different, is it? You know, the, how you look after yourself on a daily basis is going to continue. And, and that's why athletes are being able to perform at a physical level um, you know, for a lot longer, you know, we're talking about 38 and 40 year old athletes, right? But it's about the physical recovery. It's also about the mental recovery. So how are you recovering from your stress? I mean, um, if you meet me on the street, don't tell me how busy you are. Don't tell me, oh, I got all, you know, there's no pride in that shit anymore, you know, because I see people who are actually into their busyness and that's cool if you're busy, if you've got the balance. But for me, um, stress and anxiety and, and work anxiety is not something we should be proud of. It should be something we've got to be addressing and make sure that people are thriving, you know, and different people will have different thresholds. Different people have different ways to work and that's okay. Um, productivity will come in many different ways and many different um, time frames. And I think understanding the individual in the best, best way that they thrive is important. And just as a final thought, and thank you for, for giving so much of your time today, what will success mean for you and what will success mean for Groove? I'd have to come back to what my mum would have said to me. If we can help one person and they go from surviving to thriving, that's success. I think if we can multiply that by 100 million and save 100,000 lives, that will be success. I also think if you if if I put my business cap on, which I'm just learning people, so I'm still an apprentice, um, you know, I believe that if we make this a successful business and we prove out the business side of looking after people's mental well-being, then it will become the next best and biggest thing in the business world. And I don't care if it's us. I want it to be us, but there'll be there's plenty of space for other people. And so as long as it becomes this amazing segment of business and people are genuinely coming into the segment to help people, then um, I think that is what success will look like. So in five to 10 years' time, um, you know, your grooves of this world are just normal. That's what you get when you go to work. <laughs> you know, it's like insurance for your brain. Yeah, ah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tanakwe. Thank you for coming and sharing your story with us today it's uh, Sir John Kua you're welcome 
Thank you to Sir John Kerwin for coming and talking to us. Uh, thank you to you for listening uh, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like Tai Hei, our producer, who's magicked up a, a studio in five minutes today to mean that we could have that chat. So uh, thank you. If you like what we do, please do follow Business is Boring and rate or leave a review. Enohora. From the Spinoff Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.